second or actually third beatitude today. We combined the first two last week. And I want to let you know about kind of how this is going to work today, how you can interact and participate, because we love all of the engagement interaction that happens throughout the service. And we want to be able to respond to that. We also have a lot of things we want to share with you. So um, we're going to take some breaks throughout to give you an opportunity to respond or to ask questions. And, um, and then we will do our best to respond to as many of those as possible. And uh, we're still trying to figure out the best way to communicate. Um, and, and yet we love the ability for us to talk back to each other. And so we want to be able to do that as well. I love all the interaction that's happening um, just there through the comments throughout um, each of our services. And uh, we just love being a part of this with you. Josh just reminded us um, that today we had scheduled that we were going to be downtown uh, with five other churches today. Uh, we were going to be having a, our multicultural worship uh, experience. And we had three primarily Caucasian churches, three primarily African-American churches, and we were going to be worshiping together. Um, clearly, that's not happening um, we will reschedule that, and we are going to make sure that happens um, when this is all over. We'll keep you updated on that. So last week, I shared a lot about uh, the first two Beatitudes. And if you'll remember, Jesus at this point has gone away, and he has been, he's performing miracles. He's teaching. People are enamored with him, and they are wanting to know him. So they're following him. A big crowd is following him. He goes off onto a mountain to teach and this is where we have some of the greatest, most direct, and longest um, teaching of Jesus specifically to us. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be covering just the first section of that, which are the Beatitudes. And I had a great question last week. So where do we get the name Beatitudes? Does that literally mean attitudes we're supposed to be? And no, that's not really what it, it means, although that's the way in our English that we typically describe it. Um, the word beatitude comes from the Latin word beati, which is, and I'm not sure if that's the right way to say that because I don't speak Latin, no. but um, it comes from the Latin vulgate, literally means uh, blessed are. So the beatitudes come from the uh, original Latin root that means blessed are because that's how each of the beatitudes begin. So uh, we take some leniency with the English language. You know, I know that doesn't surprise anybody. Um, but but that's really where that comes from. And we spent some time talking specifically about the first two. And I believe, and many believe, that the first two Beatitudes are really the same thought, the same idea, that blessed are the poor in spirit who mourn, which seems somewhat odd to us because it doesn't feel like mourning is a blessing. But literally, as we looked through last week, what we found is that the poor in spirit um, is, is not necessarily those who are financially poor, even though Jesus had a strong ministry to the poor, and they were readily and quickly wanting to, to know Jesus and follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus even said, I've come for the poor, but he, he's talking about the poor in spirit. And, and we talked about really kind of three different groups. Uh, we talked about the poor in spirit, the wealthy in spirit, and kind of the middle class in spirit last week. If you want to go back and watch that, you can. The poor in spirit are those who do not rely on themselves, but instead they are fully relying on God. And so God wants us to trust him. And that there's a blessing in that, which is so good for us now 
because there is still, even though we're kind of in the midst of some some shutdown, some um, restarting, rebooting, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of unknowns, and we still even we don't know when we're going to have our next live service as far as everyone in the room. Um, but there's yeah, a, there hope, is a lot. Hopefully, of we'll get there soon. We forgot to do this this morning. Mark did the. Uh... Oh yeah. <laughs> t- today is is week number seven, week unfortunately, number seven. of us us being here and doing this uh, semi live uh, for you folks that are watching online. But it, it is a little just disheartening not to meet together. It's yeah. just that's starting to wear on people, I think, and hopefully we won't have much longer of that where we can all be together. Yeah. Right. Right. And you all have done an incredible job inviting friends to watch with you. I love seeing everyone welcoming their friends um, in the comments. And we're going to continue doing this, and we're going to continue. I had a question yesterday. Melissa asked about uh, can we do another Zoom call as a church. We'll set one up this week. If you'd like to to join in that and we just chat for a while over Zoom, then um, we'll do that one day this week. We'll send that out through Facebook, um, through the group, and through um, our Facebook page. We would love for you to join with us there. Um, as we enter into today's beatitude, it, we will miss what Jesus is saying if we don't understand that the poor in spirit are those that are trusting God more than they're trusting themselves. That is goes against our grain because what we want to do is to know that we can fully trust ourselves and be self-reliant, self-independent, and I don't have to count on anybody for anything. And those that need to be independent typically struggle more than anyone else with being poor in spirit because poor in spirit means we trust God more. We fully are relying on God. And this is kind of how we ended last week. Blessed, or as that word is sometimes um, defined, the word, the word blessed in Scripture can mean a number of things. It can mean unbelievably happy. But it also means consecrated, set apart, committed to God, or set apart as holy. So when we're blessed, we are set apart as something for God. And But that being set apart and being with God, it, it, it creates an unbelievable happiness and for those who have found, especially in these areas in which Jesus is talking about. So we, we defined our first two as blessed or unbelievably happy are the poor in spirit who mourn over unrighteousness and their own sin, and the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. So our ultimate happiness is there as a result of our relationship with Christ and our total reliance on him, which I think this makes more sense today than it normally does because we are less reliant on ourselves, it feels yes. like. Yeah, we cer- certainly have, have taken a turn for uh, – it's just not normal. Yeah. And we keep hearing that. I, I was joking with my wife last night, Karen, that we were watching TV. Every commercial starts with in times like this, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone, and it's getting a little, a little old seeing that, but it is a different time where mm-hmm. we're, we're learning to rely hopefully more on God and less on ourselves. Uh, so many people are unemployed and things that uh, the self-made man type myth is, I think, a, a little shattered now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and there is for some a sense of kind of being on their back foot. Uh, I, I, I'm not real sure how to move forward. I'm not real sure what I'm supposed to, to do next. Um, if you're not in control of your job, if you're working for someone and you've been laid off or, or you've had your hours cut 
or, or maybe you're an essential employee and you have to go in, but you really don't want to go in. Uh, these can be really challenging times to not feel in control of what's going on. And, and then when finances begin to dwindle, uh, yeah, it, this has always been a difficult time for humanity, but it's also been a, always a beautiful time for the gospel because we find that we don't have to rely on ourselves. We don't have to rely on just who we are or or our ability to take care of ourselves. Let me let me read those. Um, let me read the the beatitudes so far that we've covered. Matthew five, verses three through five, says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit." The earth. Now, one of the, the questions we have to uh, ask ourselves is, well, what does it mean to be meek? That's not typically a word we want to use for ourselves, especially men. Men do not like this word, though they should. Men do not like this word meek. And maybe you and some of the comments can, can comment on your understanding of what meek looks like. It's not a word we use often because it's not a character trait that we typically in this part of the world value. We don't value meekness because it is often associated with weakness, being wishy-washy, being incapable, uh, incompetent. Um, lack of personal strength. Yeah, just no, just no strength. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all what the word meek means. Literally from the Greek, meek is from the word praus and um it is the same word. We, we read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 last week, which Jesus in Luke 4 quotes about himself because Luke 61, 1, I mean, excuse me, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 are a prophecy about Jesus. And so this is what Jesus says in Luke 4, 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. That phrase... And guys, let me apologize here, interrupt Mark just a second. We realize we're having some video difficulties. It seems that the Facebook live feed is dropping in and out, so we'll we'll work on that as we continue on. Oh, okay. Yes, we did. Did we lose our feed? Okay, So, so we're now on a separate one. Yeah, there's a, you'll have to rejoin. And also, there, we do have an alternate link at YouTube Live if that's more stable for you from your house. Okay. Would you just comment that on there to join us to the second video? I don't know what happened there. All right. Here we go. All right. I'm not seeing it either. Okay. Okay. So are we on the same feed? Are we on a different one? Okay. All right. Well, I can't, I don't even see it. So I will trust that it's there and you all can, there we go. There's part two. All right. A few people have made the jump. Hopefully some more folks will do that. Um, and we'll continue on. Um, so, so blessed, unbelievably happy are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. 
Um, blessed are those not that are weak, not that are incapable, not that can't take care of themselves. That is not the idea of meekness. Um, and in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, when he talks about good news to the poor, he's talking about this same people. So this kind of poverty of spirit is continued in this idea of meekness, but it's not just in how we feel or what we are inside, but it really is um, more about what, uh, what God is doing and our trust for him, and therefore what we're capable of doing in this world as a result of trusting God's strength and not our own. The word praus um, is a word, and I'm just, I'm just going to read this. This is in version. if you're following along in version, The word praus um, comes from the Greek military and their training of horses, which is really an amazing story. As they would gather a number of horses, some would be set aside to uh, kind of be beasts of burden. They would just carry stuff. Others um, would be set aside for other menial tasks. The very best, the strongest, those who are most capable, those horses were set aside for some additional training for what would become a war horse. Those that would ride into battle, they would have to fight their fear and they would have to go into battle um, as they were being controlled and trained and told to do that, even when their instinct would have been to run. So the war horse is the idea of meekness. And once they would complete their training, these strong kind of best of the best of the breeds of horses that they would take in once they were trained the greeks would say they were now meek so meek is not about weakness and that um, use of the word the very strongest the most capable are the ones who after a period of training after a period of what we might consider discipleship or growth uh, they are declared meek because they are able to take and contain that strength. It's not that they're not strong, but that they know how to use it, and they don't need to lead with it. Meek literally means strength or power under control. Now, one of the reasons that men hate this word is because it feels like we, we should just be incapable of taking care of ourselves. We should just be incapable of... Uh, doing everything we should just sit around and someone else has to tell us what to do this is one of the reasons that so many people reject christianity is because what they understand meekness to be is weakness christians are weak they need a crutch i'm sure you've either heard that maybe you've even said that before christians somehow need a crutch um, but the idea of meekness is not that we are incapable not that we need someone else to come alongside to help us not that we just sit around and let other people walk all over us but it is instead strength or power under control which leads us to a good question and i would love for those of you who have joined us um, back on the second portion um, i would love to know what your definition of strength is what does it look like to be strong if meekness is power under control and blessed, unbelievably happy, set apart, holy, consecrated, sacred are those who are meek, then what does it look like to be strong? See, without understanding your own definition of what it means to be strong, you can't fully understand what it means to be meek. <coughs> so if you want to comment on some of those and throw those in, 
I'd love to respond to some of those. But understanding strength in the context that we've already read, that blessed are the poor in spirit, means there is strength in those who are poor in spirit. But how can that be if poor in spirit means I don't count on my own strength? How do we manage that? How do we do that? Yeah, we're getting a few comments coming in. And, and again, if you have commented earlier, this feed has gone in and out a few times, so you may need to comment again because each time the feed refreshes itself, we lose the comments that you've already made. So if you would, if you've made a comment, please go ahead and, and join us again. But uh, Nikki Murphy says it's a uh, uh, meekness she thinks is turning the other cheek. I think that's a, a very good observation of when I could react, I could be aggressive back towards you. I just say, just let it go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Murphy says to not be moved by the trials or waves of the world, to be steadfast and rooted. That's that's a good um, understanding as well. Um, any others? Leslie says, if Jesus is just a crutch, I recognize I need a wheelchair. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, yeah. David says, I don't think it's that you cease to use power, but rather you put it to use for God's purposes versus your own. All right. That's that's. I think that's a very good understanding and where this passage is going as far as what we do with this power but i do want you to know what jesus is saying here and jesus says this in more than one place this isn't the only place that he says this what what jesus is saying is is that he expects his followers to be strong but gentle disciplined and humble he's not asking you to be weak and incapable but he's asking you to get your strength from somewhere other than yourself and then to use it for his purposes, not for our own. That reminds me of a, this morning of a, a great scene in a movie from the Chronicles of Darnia uh, when one of the children asked Mr. Beaver, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, no, he's not safe, but he certainly is good. Yeah. It's yeah. a great quote. Yeah, that is true. I, one of the things I think we're seeing right now is a little bit of our expectation for life to be comfortable and easy. And to not have to fear or worry, not have to really be interrupted, is being totally interrupted. And as it's being totally interrupted, we have the opportunity to respond to respond as Christians in a couple of ways. One is we just we just hide from the world. Now, if you are uh, medically fragile, or you are really in a high risk group for for the coronavirus to affect you very negatively then you should you should stay away and protect yourself but for those that are healthy this is a chance for us to go and and to engage with the world i'm not suggesting that we go and and we don't wear gloves and we don't wear masks and we cough and sneeze on everybody and we go do whatever we want and we ignore all the precautions that's not what i'm suggesting but you know we as we've just come through as we're in the middle of a pandemic, we've just come through another crisis with the tornadoes coming through our communities. Um, several of you have been asking about it and been going out and volunteering and serving in areas that, that puts us at risk, whether you're removing trees, um, helping deliver clothes or meals, um, or donating for people that have lost their homes to have a place to stay once the emergency funds run out to stay in, with the Red Cross or wherever. 
this is a chance for us to go and to go knowing that something bad could happen and yet confident in God's plan and purpose that it will be okay no matter what happens. It is strength to go. Christians have not always struggled with strength. I do think sometimes we struggle with meekness. Certainly. Because we don't always control what we consider our strength. And I'm thinking thing I'm thinking about Facebook. <laughs> I'm thinking about how we debate people. You know, I, I I'm glad to enter into conversations and even debates as long as we're both respectful and we're both um, trying to learn from each other and help each other. We have a real bad tendency of coming across incredibly aggressive. Maybe we're defensive because of whatever perceptions we have that the world's against us. But Jesus would say, and, and I think, was it Nikki that said, turning the other, the other cheek, cheek yes. I think is a great, that's a great example because that he has not called us to be overly aggressive in a world that we make sure that no one walks over us. We've, we've used the term in the past, weaponizing scripture, where, yes. we, where we take a passage, usually out of context, granted, and we take that and we apply it to some situation to bash someone about their lack of faith. Yeah. And I've seen that even during this crisis, you know, well, you just need to turn to Jesus. Yes, you, you do. We all need, we need to be trusting in God through this situation. But that doesn't replace your income necessarily. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, as we engage with people, Jesus is a perfect example of this. Who, the, you know, and he was in the desert and Satan was trying to get him to uh, throw himself down. And, and all these angels would come and protect you. Or he says, if you'll just follow me, I'll give you all the kingdom of the world as if he didn't already have that. Uh, Jesus passed on all of that. I think another great example is in the garden in which Jesus is about to be betrayed and he's praying and he's sweating drops of blood and he's crying out to God and yet he goes anyways. He's on the cross and he's being jeered at and people are yelling at him and spitting on him and telling him, oh, if you were really the son of God, you could get yourself down. I mean, what what would be the ultimate yeah. in your face than for Jesus to say, fine, and in a burst of light comes off the cross? Yeah, I was, I was thinking being a Marvel movie fan, I was thinking about, to the time in the garden when they come to arrest him, he could have done like Thanos and just snapped yeah. his finger and everyone there could have been snapped out of existence, but he didn't choose to do that. Yeah. It's which a, took incredible strength. Yeah. It's a beautiful picture of, uh, of meekness of being on the cross and allowing these people who you come to rescue, to torture and kill you. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. And as we understand this, um, this beatitude, it is the picture that Jesus has for each of us. Not that we're going to be in your face. Not that we're going to... You know, there are three ways uh, to really influence somebody. Way number one is through shame. You can shame somebody into acting the way you want them to. Another one is fear. And, and this is where we need to be really careful right now that we don't allow fear to determine our lives. We, we use good wisdom and discretion when it comes to making sure that we're not spreading this to others. But fear is a great motivator for people. This is not the way God wants us to be moved. The third one is through love. Those three will, will motivate people. But Jesus says you will motivate not by shame. You will motivate not by fear. You will motivate by love. 
And Christians at times struggle with this because we have been shamed, so we have learned to shame. And we, like, fear you're going to go to hell. I mean, how many of us grew up in a system where our salvation experience was predicated by not a love of Jesus, but a fear of hell? So we have a tendency to want to drive to the two easy ones, fear and shame are easy. Love takes time and effort, and it takes strength. Yeah, can, I, there's nowhere in Scripture that says we should fear COVID-19. That's right. There's nowhere that says we should fear losing our job. That's right. You know, that's that's not the spirit we're supposed to have. We're supposed. The only thing in Scripture that's mentioned for us to fear is God himself because yes. he controls our lives completely. And we often lose sight of that in, in the trials and tribulations of living every day here on earth is we decide that we become fearful of many things and rely on everyone but God to take those fears away from us. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, so what does it look like to be strong? And as we read through Scripture, which is where we find the answers to these things, strength comes through the Holy Spirit, for one. Not totally and completely, but a huge way that we gain strength is through the Holy Spirit. And if you followed any of our teachings of the Holy Spirit, what you know is is that the Holy Spirit is required for every part of the process of salvation. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. Whenever we pray and we confess our sins, we're only able to confess our sins because the Holy Spirit empowers us to be able to confess our sins because Scripture says no one... No one is is righteous. No one seeks after God on their own. We require the Holy Spirit to do that. Whenever we're brought into God's family, the Holy Spirit brings us into God's family, that we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is crucial for this. And Jesus told his disciples, when I leave, I'm going to give you another helper like me. And it's good that I leave so that he comes, which is the Holy Spirit. And he will empower you and teach you and help you to understand all things. The Holy Spirit is much of where we receive our strength. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Galatians 5.16-26 through 26 is a, a beautiful description of what the Holy Spirit does for those who are his followers, and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to take more and more of a lead in their life. says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you'll remember, blessed are the poor in spirit who mourn. We mourn sin within our lives. The Holy Spirit helps us to walk in a way in which we do not continue in sin. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So our ability to control the strength that's within us is a, a ministry of the Holy Spirit and our willingness and ability to walk in the Spirit. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting some good comments here now. Sorry, we... 
my Facebook feed. I had to reboot Facebook okay. <laughs> to, to get a, the comments to start showing up. Uh, a couple of things about strength, uh, going back to what we said about not being fearful. Paul Schreiner says, I don't think that I'm afraid of COVID-19, but I am afraid that somehow I won't be able to provide for my family, and that's a role that God has placed me in. Yes. That's very good. That yeah. Something that we feel is our God-given duty to provide for our family, and that's been taken away. That is something to be fearful of. However, if God has required it of us, I believe he will give us the strength to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, one from Rick Adams here is being able to exhibit the fruit to the Spirit during struggles is a sign of strength. Yes. That you still have the same fruit to the Spirit even in a time like this. Yeah. So I, I love the description of the war horse where you can imagine cannons going off. You can imagine, you know, I don't know if cannons were going off back then, but yeah, you can imagine um, still fires. You can Im- imagine the clanging of swords and armor. It's not a peaceful shields. environment. <laughs> it's the kind of place that we would decide not to be if we didn't have to be there. And and yet, when they go, I cannot imagine that there's any amount of training that makes a horse not care anymore. But instead, an ability to compose themselves and to act even in the midst of that fear. So that strength is not the absence of fear. Strength is not the absence of weakness. Strength is that ability in the midst of fear to continue to press forward in the ways that we are called. And as Christians, that call is not whoever's riding us as the war horse would have responded to, but it, it is our Lord, our leader, which is Christ, as we follow him, even in spite of those fears, we continue to move forward. Yeah, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to teach us in times of peace, do you think we're going to be prepared for the Holy Spirit to lead us in times when it's not peaceful, yeah. if we haven't practiced those disciplines? Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that I think our greatest opportunity in growth is right now in this Absolutely. Area. It is not necessarily in peace because that we we aren't tested in those times we don't want to leave those times things feel good but that is a great yeah yes our willingness what we have done in the in peacetime still does um, prepare us for the times when it's not peaceful but it is in those times that are not peaceful that we have the we take the greatest leaps forward in our faith and trust in god or or we completely back away yeah altogether I mean, what brought that to mind was i'm sure that those those horses were trained and, and went through scenarios of what would I do if I didn't, if I wasn't relying on myself, for, for our example. What would I do if I didn't have my job? What would I do if I if I couldn't do this or that? And I think that's a, a good thing for us to remember is when we, you know, we're only a moment away from that at all times anyway. Yeah, yeah. And we just true. need to be prepared for that, that we need to be leaning on God all the time, even when we're not going through a trial. Right. And going back to what we talked about last week, it's going to be okay. So we ha- we create levels of okayness. Like, I'm okay as long as this doesn't happen, and then that happens. And then we have to kind of drop our, okay, now that I'm okay as long as that doesn't happen, and then something else happens. Oh, now i got to be okay here. And fully trusting God is taking away those levels, saying, God, I'm going to, I'm going to be as faithful as I possibly can. I'm going to make the wisest, best choices that I possibly can. But if 
none of that works. I'm going to trust you with whatever the outcome is. But that comes through trial. That is learned in trial. That is not learned That's right. when things are going. That's when you well. learn to trust, truly. And Leslie has a good point about this. It's like, likewise, trust between us and the Holy Spirit determines our ability to bend to God quickly and rein in our own human tendencies. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, right, right. So strength comes through the Holy Spirit. Strength also comes through this ever-increasing trust in God's strength and not our own. This is where guys struggle. I wanna, oh, absolutely. I want to make sure I'm stronger than everyone else around me. Yeah. Um, and so I, I want to make sure I either um, either act like I am, even if I'm yeah. not. I want to pretend. I kind of want to fake it till I make it. Yeah. Um, or I'm going to train and, and try to shore up every possible weakness so that I don't feel that I'm weak or yeah. incapable. Go, going back to what Paul Schreiner was saying a minute ago, his, his role as pro- provider for the family. Most of us also see that as we are the protector of the family mm-hmm. as well. So what better way to protect our family than to portray an image that I am stronger than anybody around me, and I dare you to approach my family. Yeah, that's So true. that's one of the things. And Josh has a – Eskridge had a point that goes along with that, talking about strength. We we typically think of human strength going to the gym. I know you like to work at – did you ever get you a treadmill, by the way? No. No, no, he's just giving up on that. Giving up. He's just, he's just going to be like the rest of us. But, uh, you know, we, we like to train. We like to train, and that breaks down those muscles and strengthens them, strengthens them with training. And maybe this is indeed a time mm-hmm. of training that God's taking us through to build our strength, build our faith in him, and see how we react in these situations. I mean, like Mark was saying, we have tremendous opportunities right now to be the church in our city, opportunities that weren't here a few weeks ago. Right. You know, we, we have not only the pandemic, but we also have had a tornado, a natural disaster, both things completely out of our control. Yeah. And now how does the church react to that? And I've seen a, a lot of people saying, well, the only reason church wants to meet is because they need the offerings. Well, yes, we do, like anybody else, have to pay our bills. If you're laid off and can't pay for your home, you have to. If we don't have income, we can't pay for the things that we have to have to conduct church services. However, look at what the church is giving back in the community. I I will guarantee you every volunteer force you see in this this community is staffed with a bunch of church Christians. Absolutely. Absolutely. They have turned out the the church has reacted. They've they've come out and shown their strength in the community. Yeah, and self-sacrificing strength. Yeah, and not everyone will recognize that. But that doesn't matter. That's part of the strength under control. That's right. We are not as concerned with how we appear to people as much as we are that we are truly authentic to who we say we are. And that means that we do, Christians do, and I've been incredibly impressed with our churches in our city that have responded to say, I'm here, even if it costs me something, I'm here to help others. And I believe that is one of the calls that Jesus has for us and and whatever capability or ability yeah. we have. One of the things I think that. is great there too, as far as, as as a church, we've been very interested in partnering with other churches. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see the, hey, look at me. I'm pastor so-and-so from such-and-such church. Look at what we're doing. It's just, no, we're doing what God says we should do in our community. And I think that's yeah. very refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Paul gives us a couple of, of passages where he talks about weakness and meekness. And I, I think is just so on point for our trusting in God's strength over ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, this is, when he's talking about this, he's got his, these thorns in the flesh, and different scholars tell us what they think that means. He had things that made life hard for him, and he kept asking God to remove them, but God didn't. 
which should be a testament to us when sometimes we have things in our lives that kind of trip us up and we ask God to remove them and he doesn't. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for me, for my power, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Not in that his power is made perfect in someone who is completely weak, but we empty ourselves of our own power so that we can be filled with God's power instead. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong, which he would interpret, for when I am not trusting in myself, then I am trusting in a strength that's so much stronger than I am by myself. In Philippians 4, 12 and 13, he says, I know how to be brought low I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul shifts the conversation from just what is that strength to how do we receive that strength. And it is literally the infusing of God's strength and power in us. And yet our ability to have it and control it and use it for his purposes. But if you're sitting there thinking, um, so that doesn't sound like me. I don't feel like that person. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Does that mean uh, there's something wrong with me? And I would say absolutely not. It doesn't necessarily mean either either one of those things. Uh, Certainly it could mean you're not a Christian. If you've never come to a place in your life where you recognize you have a great need for a Savior, Uh, Christianity is not about religious practice. It's not about attending a service. It's not about um, serving, and it's not about giving. Those are all aspects as we work out our faith. But Christianity is about recognizing from the very beginning we are broken because of sin. Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and now we receive that gift. We repent of our sins, which means we turn away from them. We become obedient to his teachings, We follow him with our lives. Even if you've done those things, I want you to know the process of becoming meek is a process. Mm -hmm. Most of us didn't become anything good without work, right? And without correction. And without Mm -hmm. correction, without somebody steering us. Right. We can, when we're just our natural selves, there, there can certainly be good things that come out of that. But generally, the best things come out of an intentional way of learning and growing. And that is also what meekness is. And I'm thinking of the disciples. When Jesus called the disciples, when he first showed up and said, hey, follow me, they they did not know what they were getting into. They did not know what they were doing. And they made mistakes all the time. And, And Jesus took them through a process of growing. So he, he taught them, he said, walk with me, spend time with me, and he just poured into them for a, a long time. And then they came to a place where he said, now I want you to practice a little bit about what I've taught you. So he sent them out two by two to go out into all these towns, and they would share the message at the time, which was repentance, come back to your faith, because the kingdom of God is at hand. But Jesus had not died on the cross, so the gospel was not what they were sharing quite yet. 
Instead, it was return to a dedicated following to God in the way that you know and prepare yourself because something better is coming. And so then they went through that process. Even at the end, Peter always comes to mind for me. (laughs) Jesus is in the garden praying, and Judas betrays Jesus. And what does Peter do? He grabs his sword, and he's going to defend Jesus against all of these Roman soldiers. And he cuts off a a soldier's ear, and, and that's where Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back and heals the soldier, and then they lead him off. Peter then goes on later that night to deny him three times, and yet Jesus says, I'm going to build my church with you. (laughs) It takes training, discipline. There's a process of growing into meekness. Meekness is not just a naturally inherited characteristic. It is something that develops in us as our faith grows, as our trust grows, as our experience with Christ grows, as our understanding of his word grows it grows within us and if you've never thought about meekness in that way perhaps that's why you don't feel very strong at times recognizing that god wants to take you through a process i think one of the most incredible things about that story about peter at least for me is the fact that they're messing up in life not carrying out the mission that jesus had they didn't let that define their faith yeah. You know, you know they had to have a tremendous amount of faith because they dropped what they were doing to follow Christ, yeah. unquestioning. But that didn't mean that they had it all together and that they did exactly what Christ would have them to do. So I think sometimes we let our failures define our faith. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, and these guys would have had, you know, how do you think Peter felt? You know, I cut the guy's ear off defending you and you put it back. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was just doing what I thought you wanted me to do. Yeah. And yeah. it's just because he didn't have an understanding. Yeah. And, you know, this is where sometimes our analogies break down. So the warhorse analogy breaks down. I don't know how mm-hmm. to train a warhorse, but right. I imagine there are some unpleasant steps to that. Right. Right. And this is one of the things that in this process of training, Jesus basically says, I'm going to show you and help you grow. But remember, there, you know, there's you can you can motivate people with shame, you can motivate people with fear, you can motivate people with love. He consistently motivated with love, and he says this in Matthew 11. He says, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart." Again, that same concept of meekness, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Yeah, I, I think in this in training, uh, an example I had just yesterday is our our oldest daughter, Cassie, has a new puppy. Well, new puppies tend to be not very obedient, to say the least. And, and so what she's done, she's got one of the sport training collars that you use that it just gives just a little electrical jolt to the dog when he does something wrong. And I thought, you know, I think that's what God does to us sometimes is when I get too close to that edge, he just goes and he's like, I think you need to be zapped just a little bit to bring you back in, reel you back in. Now, what does that look like? Maybe it's a pandemic. Maybe it's, you know, a loss of job. Maybe it's whatever area you're not allowing your faith to be worked out in your life. And I think sometimes he just pulls us back in like that and says, you know, you're going down a path that's going to be harmful to you. It's going to be harmful to your faith. So I'm going to pull you back in for your own safety and your relationship with me. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Let me ask you uh, as another question, why do you think it is so difficult to develop meekness 
as a follower of Jesus. And I'm thinking specifically if you're struggling, if, if not that you fear, all people fear. And not that you have anxiety, all people have some level of anxiety. But if you feel that it controls you, it keeps you from moving forward, maybe you might have some of the best um, answers for us here. But what or why do you think it's so difficult to develop meekness as a follower of Jesus? Or maybe you're a person who struggled with this at some point in your life and you've overcome that. And now you recognize, I feel strong now. I I've learned how to control it and not be aggressive and not be shame-giving and not be fear-inspiring. I, I, I've learned to love people and to not try to motivate them by lording over them or being the biggest person in the room or the, to make people afraid of you. You've learned how to do that. What was it that helped you along that path of growing in meekness? Um, I'd love for you to to share some some comments. Maybe you could look for some yeah, of those comments please. because I did before we before we move into <coughs> our main area where we want to spend some time just hearing from you. What are they inheriting? So blessed are the meek. What are they inheriting? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, what does that mean? I I'm not sure that anyone wants to inherit the earth right now, right? You know, it's like, it's I like don't know a, that I want that. It's like getting one of those gag gifts at Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. I don't really want go. this. Here we are. With uh, all kinds of things. What? So, so if you read through the Psalms, you'll find that it appears that Jesus is literally quoting one of the Psalms, specifically Psalm 37, because blessed are the meat because they will inherit the earth. Um, sounds very similar to th- Psalm 37:11 says, "But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace." Now, in the Old Testament, the land was a very specific description, talking about the promised land. And what they have experienced is God has given them the promised land, and yet it is constantly taken away from them. Whenever they did not obey God and they turned away from God, they would be conquered, someone would invade, they would lose the land, and consistently their prayer would be, give us back the land. This is why um, so many people, when, when Jesus came in on, the, uh, on a donkey for Palm Sunday and they welcomed him like a king, they were hoping they were going to, Jesus was going to give them back the land, you know, the Israel, because Rome now owned it. And they wanted him to kick Rome out and be able to get that. That's also why they wanted Barabbas, who was also a known rebel, who was willing to fight the Romans instead of Jesus when Pilate asked, well, who would you want me to return to you? And they said, we want Barabbas. Barabbas was a known rebel. He will fight the Romans if Jesus won't. And But so for them, the idea of the land in the Old Testament is Israel. For us, as we read through, especially, and I'm not going to read these, but in Matthew 19 and Revelation 21, they're in U version if you're following along in U version. Jesus promises there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. This is the kingdom of heaven. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And literally, those who are true followers of Jesus inherit this new land, this new earth 
this new thing that has yet to be born, but is being born. That Jesus, when he left, told his disciples, I'm going and I'm preparing a place for you. And when it's time, I will bring you to that place. So what Jesus is saying is now, blessed are the meek, they inherit the new heaven and the new earth. Not just Israel, not this rock that we're on, but the new heaven and the new earth that's coming. This is the kingdom of heaven, which is the same thing that those who in the poor in spirit inherit which is the kingdom of heaven. It's that consistent idea in these first three uh, Beatitudes. We trust in God. We fully trust and rely on God. And he is giving us eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, in this new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth. We receive that. Blessed are the meek because they receive the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. Blessed are them because they get all the things that God is preparing for those who follow him. So it's a beautiful picture of him saying, I have a place for you. It is perfect. It is beyond anything you could imagine. And and it's for those who are poor in spirit, for those who do not trust in themselves, for those who mourn and recognize that their sinfulness is, is brokenness. And we need to repent from that and turn to God and can only do that through Christ. Blessed are the meek that are empowered by God, but they don't use it to abuse people or to just help themselves get ahead. They use it for the purposes of God within the world. Blessed are those people. They inherit the land. Yeah, you know, and I think we get a misinterpretation sometimes about what it means to inherit that land. I don't know about, about you folks, but I think of the land there in the promised land as this Land is described as a land that flows with milk and honey, and there's no more oppression from the Egyptians, and you have plenty to eat, and and all these wonderful things that are really physical things. When I think, in fact, that God's promised land is that place where you go and completely rely on Him, because every time that the the Israelites messed up, it was because they quit relying on God in the promised land. Yeah, they they quit letting Him lead them. They decided hey, I think we've got a better idea. I don't like this. I don't like the way you're providing for us. Manna again for breakfast. I'm tired of this, God. What are you going to do for us? And when you quit relying on God, that promise kind of fades away. Then, and The promise was never that a life of luxury. It was a, a life depending on completely on God. And I think we sometimes misinterpret that as paradise on earth maybe. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Renee Ramsey has a, a thought here. Do you do you think the meek inherit the earth means people, like they will win people over to Christ? Mm. It's a good thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I think that's a good thought, and that is the purpose for us to use our meekness. So yeah. I would say on one hand, yes. This meekness, this strength draws people. Because if you are internally strong and yet you don't have to fake it, you don't have to wear a chip on your shoulder, you're not aggressive, you're just okay. Like everything's going wrong, but I'm okay because I have the strength of God empowering me through this. That draws people. Yeah, the, The early church grew, always grew, continues to grow through persecution and through crisis. And the reason is because in that persecution, people looked at believers, and believers were okay through it. I, you know, they would throw in, um, before Constantine, they would throw Christians in 
to the arena for entertainment. They would be torn up by lions. They would, they would put them on a, a stake and burn them at the stake, whole families together. And yet what historians tell us is there was such a peace about them that people wanted what they had. How can you be going through this horrific experience and you are so strong and at peace? So I do think that meekness draws people. I don't think inherit the land is is a um, prophecy that we're like going to win all people to Christ. But I do think that it is the, that meekness does draw people to Christ. Yes, it, it, We want strength. But the, the thing is, is our own strength always lets us down. Whenever someone tries to impress you with their own strength, that it will always disappoint. But God's strength continues even in the midst of crisis and hardship, fear and famine. Christ is there. Even as we look ahead to what's coming or what we don't know is coming through all that we're going through, we can not be okay with not knowing but we can be okay with God's with us through it, and God's got a plan. God is going to empower us through it. And at the end of the day, even if everything goes wrong, I get the coronavirus and I die, God's got that covered too because I'm going to inherit the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and I'm going to be in this place with him forever. Yeah, I was I was going back and thinking about the, the new heaven and the new earth and comparing that to the Garden of Eden and thinking about how Adam and Eve felt when they were there walking in the garden and everything. And I, and I think if you went back, not scriptural, but if I went back and asked Adam today, do you think he'd say, I miss that wonderful paradise we lived in? Or we'd say, I miss that relationship I had walking with God. Yeah. And that's what that's we're good. looking for so often is we're looking for paradise instead of that walk with God that we don't care what the situation around us is because we're walking with God. We we are walking with him daily. He is pouring into our lives. We're listening and applying what he does to us. Um, and so that's where I think Adam was. And I think that's what he missed immediately when they decided they wanted to be like God and make their own decisions. And they wanted the strength was going to come from within them because they were going to be like God now. And then he realized, oh, this wasn't what it was all about to start with. It was about my relationship. Yeah, yeah. So here's what we want to kind of close out with today. And that is how do we live this out? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you think we live this out or what does this look like when we do live this out. Yeah, Herman already has a good comment along those lines. He says, uh, talking about meekness and how we live out our lives, he said, I see it like letting someone else drive the vehicle. If you're driving, you have control. Giving some form of control to others or God himself is really hard because we want to hold on to that last little 1% of control. That's right. That's really that's, good. Yes, we do. Yeah, that's right. Another driver, Leslie says, can can take you out, and that's very true. So we don't ever even have complete control there. Yes, control is an illusion. Um, however, God is in control of all things. The, the, we begin to question God when God acts in ways that we don't necessarily like. Yeah, Deidre has a good one here. She says, "For me, I think pride and self-preservation work against growing in meekness at times. That dangerous thought: I really deserve." this yeah, uh, yeah that's really good and, and how do you live that out because it's hard to have that that perception of i'd really deserve the worst for me because of what i've done <laughs> yes which is unhealthy that i deserve the worst is just as unhealthy as i deserve the best and, and what i mean by that is um so there's a place of true repentance that says i deserve the worst so i, I think you you can't know christ until you come to the place 
I'm recognizing I do, in fact, deserve the worst. But Christ will never leave you there. And any Christian, Christian, that makes you want to believe you're the worst and they're the best, do not know Jesus. That person does not know Jesus. So, but because Jesus in repentance rescues us and he lifts us up, adopts us into his family, literally the son of God. When God spoke, John tells us when God spoke, Jesus created. So God was the creator through his instigation and through tasking Jesus with the pro- with creating. Jesus actually created. Jesus says this about those who come to the place who, who say, I, am, I deserve the worst because of my sin. Jesus says, you are now my brother and my sister. He elevates you that yeah. you are his sibling. So he doesn't leave you there. So to that, but I do see Christians that seem to, feel that if i feel really bad about myself yeah that must be good yeah yeah that that, that, that somehow god's going to reward you the worst you feel about yourself and that yeah and that has that is a lie yeah that is a lie now, there is honesty and authenticity about i'm really not any better than you think i am there's an authenticity there but to say i am of i am no count denies the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life and denies that Jesus says, I love you, I'm coming for you, I'm dying for you. So Jesus denies that for you and saying, you are loved and you are worthy and I have come for you and I want you to be with me forever. So we cannot, as Christians, continue in the, the delusion of I am just the worst of the worst. If, if, if you, you are, are saved. Yeah, if you are indeed the worst of the worst, what motivation is there for you in your life to display the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah. If you're, if it's that bad, I'm never going to get there. I'm not even going to try now. I'm just, I'm just miserable. God knows I'm worthless and useless, and I'm not even going to try. Whereas even the worst screw-ups in the Bible, God used them mightily. They didn't stay where they were at because they were relying on him and then those fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working through their lives, they accomplish fantastic things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Leslie has a question. Does that, are we doing it to make ourselves relatable to people who are lost? To say, look at me. I mean, are we doing that? Look at how damaged I am that God still loves me and will use me. Or are we seeking something different, you know, yeah. that pity, a pity thing? So, so yeah. Leslie's asking, our, why do, is, what about self-deprecation? Where self-deprecation tends to, to, to endear us to people and kind of breaks down walls. Why is that a good or a bad thing? Or why do we do that? Is that a, a, a pity thing? And I, I think there is an, there is an authenticity um, of being honest about your weaknesses. There, there's an authenticity there that, that we, that Paul, uh, <laughs> probably one of the strongest personalities in scripture, you know, outside of Jesus, constantly talked about his problems and his weaknesses. Yeah. Because the things, the things I try to do, you know, yeah. I, I don't do what I should do and I do what, what I shouldn't do. Yeah. It made him relatable. Yes. But that's different from someone who is always down on themselves. And I don't have an answer for that. I, I think for every person that's different, but I do think there is a genre of an attitude that if I keep the bar low, yes, I will always meet it. Right. And there's fear in raising the bar to say, no, 
I'm not living this way. Yeah. I'm going for something better. I'm going to I'm going to be better than this. There's a fear that I won't be enough. And some people And you won't be on your own. You'll never be enough. Right. And some people are surrounded by others that want you to stay down. Right. And so they tell you every time you mess up. And that's not Jesus. And that's not what a follower of Jesus or a, a person with meekness, a person with strength lends their strength to another. Just as, as, as God gives, lends his strength to us, we lend that strength to others. That's what we call encouragement. We, yeah. Encouragement is literally, I'm, I'm taking some of my courage and I'm giving Give it, it to, to you. you. Absolutely. Great, so, great example. So when I'm strengthening, I'm taking some of my strength and I'm giving it to you. True, true followers of Jesus, while they may point out your faults if you yourself are ignorant of them, because that's how we learn, it's how we grow. But true followers of Jesus lend you their strength. They don't push you down with their shame. But there, right. there is a genre of, um, I'm just going to stay down here and tell everybody how bad I am. And I, a little bit of a pity party, because that way no one will expect anything from me, and that way I won't disappoint anybody. Yeah. And that you can't live your life that way. Yeah, along those lines, Lisa has a great point here. It says, living in the way of the kingdom of God is not intuitive. We have to let the Holy Spirit renew our minds by exposing our mind to the Word of God. Meekness comes not from our own doing, but from God's influence. Yeah, that's really good. As that's far good. As... So I, I want, I do want to share a, a couple other things with you, and some practical. So what does this look like? And then I'd like for you to continue. And Scott, feel free to interrupt me. Sure. Um, if you need to. But I already told you that I think Jesus was somewhat quoting Psalm 37:11. So if we actually go back and look at the few verses before that, it actually gives us a picture of what it looks like to live a meek life. And, and I want to go back to, to verse 5 of, of Psalm 37. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Ah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so just there, gosh, we could go another hour. We're not going to. We could yeah. go another hour on this. Tracy Belknap has a, another verse I think goes right along with those. those is Psalm 56, 11. In God I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Yes, that's, that is the exact same mindset that we're talking about. So if we if we go through those few verses... Some of the things that, that stand out to me are the meek commit their way to the Lord, which means I'm going to follow his path, whatever that is. That's a big deal. So the meek are not committing to their own path. In other words, I'm going to take God's strength for my own path. My path lies with what God's path for me is. So I'm going to spend my life trying to live that out. That develops meekness in us. The meek trust the Lord. It's not about me or my own abilities. It's about trusting God. Even when I can't see it, even when I'm afraid it's all going south, if it does go south, God's got a plan for that too. The meek trust the Lord. The meek, and this is tough for us, 
wait patiently for the Lord, especially those who feel strong. Especially if you feel strong in and of yourself, you don't want to wait for anything. Let's get this thing moving. Let's make this thing happen. But the meek, those who are empowered by God and are strengthened by God, and they are able to control that, well, those people are waiting patiently for the Lord. Also, these meek will inherit the land or the earth, and they will delight themselves in abundant peace. Yeah, going back to that thought of the meek patiently waiting to the Lord, a couple of comments here. Leslie had asked, it, is it, or had stated it's easier to be strong for others than for ourselves, which yeah. I, I think that's, you know, we will sometimes come and rally to be, you know, better ourselves because we know it makes somebody else's life better. Yeah. Uh, but what reminded me in this verse was David replied, I think that, the circumstances affect that. Sometimes being strong for others involves being long-suffering, mm-hmm. and that can indeed wear us down and is a big challenge. Yes, yes. And that's, yeah, that's a great point, that sometimes our we, our strength still comes through the Holy Spirit, and that has to sometimes be daily. That's why we spend time with him. That that renews our strength whenever we spend time with him. Again, that idea of strengthening yourself and gaining strength and training to be strong in these situations. Yeah, the 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 life of a Christian is the constant pouring of themselves out and being refilled. When we pour ourselves out and we're exhausted, sometimes it's hard to believe that God's going to refill us. We get so tired. But that is the life of a Christian. I will pour myself out as you continue to refill me. Uh, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why we have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is why we pray regularly each day not just once a day or once a week or once every now and again or when we think about it but we consistently pray throughout every single day constant conversations while we read god's word that strengthens us yeah and you know i I was thinking about that prayer it's not what we think it is prayer sometimes either i think we think of okay it's 11 o'clock i've got this dedicated time that i talk to god Mm -hmm. and this is two o'clock i've got to do it again and that's not the way it really works it works in a situation by situation meeting, you know, a meeting of God with us during the day of, okay, God, I noticed this. Kind of give me some direction here, God. What should I do? And, and I think often we pray more sometimes than we do realize yeah. that we're actually talking to God and the Holy Spirit is guiding us throughout the day as we ask. You just kind of take that pause sometimes. It can just be a pause. That prayer can be of, okay, what should I do here? What should be the next thing I do? That, yes. And sometimes it becomes almost an unconscious prayer. I think sometimes we make prayer too formal, I guess is what I'm trying to say, that it's it's this set-aside time that we go to God when it ought to be a relationship throughout the day for us. Yeah, 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 I, absolutely. That just constant conversation. If you're constantly having conversation, you're probably constantly having conversations with people in your house. You don't have to necessarily sit down and right. set aside time for dedicated, long conversations because you're talking throughout the day, all day long. Uh, it's, it's that way with God. There are times we set aside those, you know, true, devoted times of communication with God and with other people. Right. But if but what the way we grow in it, the way we're filled by it, that's a great point, is that we just consistently do that throughout our day. Um, I'd love to, to know any other thoughts that you have. There's some more notes that I didn't. I, we're not going to go through today. I, I do want you to, to know within this, this is an important aspect about strength that Jesus is more concerned with what is going on inside you than what you show the world around you. That is why strength is under control. I don't have to go around telling everybody how strong I am. I don't have to go around telling everybody that I'm not afraid of anything. 
for one, it's not true, and for two, it's not helpful for anybody. You know, I don't have to go around getting in your face and, and showing you, you know what, I won't back down. You know, I, I always get frustrated with people who like to get in your face and want you to kind of back down. Well, that, meekness does not do that. It, meekness is calm. Meekness is quiet. Meekness is gentle, but meekness is strong. It's what we see in Jesus. It's tempering that ability to know the truth. And you are probably right in the situation as far as God's word goes. This is what God says. But being able to temper that and that meekness, being able to control that and not use it, like we said earlier, as weaponized scripture to be in somebody's face with it and just back up a second and listen. Often I think God wants us to not only listen to him, but listen to those around us so that we can better interact with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to to um, for you to wrestle maybe at lunch as uh, you're about to eat lunch with this question. How does being meek honor, glorify, or worship God? I, I, you have to need to struggle through that question. How does meekness honor, glorify, and worship God? Think about that. Spend some time discussing that and recognize that this is a bit of a struggle. There is a process of growing in this, but this is part of the really good stuff of following Jesus. I don't have to be controlled by insecurity. I don't have to be controlled by fear. I don't have to be controlled by anxiety. I don't have to be controlled by uncertainty. I think everything's going to be okay because God is is working for our good, and no matter how it turns out, God is still doing that, and God is still allowing us to inherit the land, no matter what that looks like. If I lose the ability to pay my bills, it's going to be okay. I mean, for me, just being meek, how does that honor, glorify, or worship God, is it takes self completely out of the equation. It does. And taking self out of the equation is probably one of the most freeing things you can do, even in a time like this. It's not, did I make the right decision, you know, do I need to look for a job? Do I have enough beans on hand in case they don't have them at the grocery store this week? Or toilet paper, which is still an odd thing. Mm-hmm. But it takes all those decisions. You know, We still have to be wise in managing resources and things while we're living here on earth. But it takes so much of that out of our hands when we take self out of the equation and say, God, I'm not relying on my own wisdom to do this. You're going to have to guide me through this. That's right. And that makes it so much easier on you. If you take self out and then it automatically honors God as well. That's right. That's right. That's good. Good. So now you don't have to talk about it at lunch. Scott just answered it. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Don't use my answer. It's not usually right. I'll just, just trust me on that. (laughs) No, seriously, that, that is a great takeaway from this and is, should inform all of our answers for that question. That's really good. All right. Listen, we want to pray with you. Um, I want you to know that all of this talk about strength and meekness does not mean that if you're feeling unsure that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that if you're afraid of what's coming does not mean there's something wrong with you. That means you are human. Um, It does not mean that has to define you. And that is what I, I really would like for us to take away from this. Our fears and anxieties while they are ever present within our lives, do not have to define us. They don't have to control us. We can be strong even if we're not in control. 
We can be strong even if we're uncertain. We can be strong even if we mess up because our strength doesn't come from us or our ability to live perfectly. Our strength comes from the Lord. It comes only from the Lord. And as we live within that, this strength begins to well up within us. We won't be able to explain. And it's not the kind that you can go out and do anything, and now you're going to be successful in in anything, but it does mean you're able to follow the purposes of God within your life with confidence and excitement. It becomes an adventure, and you get to see God do incredible things through your life. It's really an amazing thing, this idea of meekness. Um, So... Because our video got cut in half, we'll we'll splice it together and we'll repost the whole thing as a, a whole unit later. But um, we're glad you joined us. Remember, next week we're going to be taking communion together. And if you would like to jump on a, a Zoom call together just as a church body, I'll send out some links this week. Um, and we'd love for you to um, to do that with us. We love you guys. Um, and if if you are at a place that you would like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know you can do that right where you are. You don't have to be in a church. You don't have to be with somebody else. You can just right where you are pray and say, God, I believe you're real. I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. I repent of my sins. I want to live your way, not my way. Uh, come into my life. Let me experience you. Forgive me of my sins. You can, And you don't even have to say all that. Just God, forgive me. I love you. Let me walk with you. And you can experience the beginning of this growth of strength within your life today. Father, I do pray for those that are um, struggling with that and in the anxiety and fear that we all feel at times, it feels that sometimes it's controlling us. Lord, I do pray that in this time of uncertainty that we would be able to experience um, the certainty of your power and your strength, of your knowledge, Father, I thank you that we are going to be okay, that you have promised us a land that is ours, that that can't be taken away. And while we may not fully understand or know what that looks like, uh, God, we know we can trust you for our eternal life. Um, Develop this within us and help us to be strength under control for others. ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.